Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone, and Theology Central Radio is on the air. It is Thursday, February the 29th, 2024. It is currently 6.48 p.m. Central Time, and Theology Central Radio comes to you live from, well, the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, if you are new to Theology Central Radio, it's a very simple concept. We have thousands and thousands of hours of content dating back, I don't even know how many years. I've got thumb drives full of sermons and devotional messages and Bible studies. And we have all of this content. We've got to do, we've got to do something with it, right? Or it just kind of, you know, just kind of sits there down in the basement collecting dust. So what I do is at certain times I go live, Theology Central Radio is on the air. And well, right before I go live on the air, I walk down the creaky steps into the dusty basement. There's no light or just, and I have a little flashlight and I'm looking around and I'm like, moving all the cobwebs. I'm like, oh, here's a file from, well, let's say November the 1st, 2020. And well, that's what I have for us this evening. November the 1st, 2020. It's a Sunday morning. Now, and uh, in going way back to November the 1st, 2020, it feels like it's, you know, 30 years ago, but we were still trying to figure out what to do with COVID, right? Like we were live streaming some services with nobody there. Then other times we had people there. It was like we were trying to figure it all out. And at times it was very, at times it was very weird because like I I, I was literally sitting at a table in an empty sanctuary at a church, right? Victory Baptist Church. I'm sitting in the sanctuary. There's no one there. And I'm sitting at a table with a microphone. And so in many cases, I'm like, okay, I've got to make this feel like church, but then it doesn't feel like church. Like I can't, do I make it feel like a podcast? So, you know, I'm trying to do the sermon series and I'm trying to do things and it's like, do I do it like a podcast? Do I do it like a sermon? How do I do this? And what am I trying to accomplish? I'm like, well, you know, really there aren't any rules governing this thing. So I tried all kinds of different things. Some of them worked. (laughs) Some of them did not work. I came up with all kinds of ideas. It was a, it was a crazy time, but I know this, I spent hour after hour after hour after hour in that empty sanctuary broadcasting. There were some Sunday mornings I would be there by like, you know, 7, 7.30 in the morning, and I would broadcast two, maybe, you know, I would, I would broadcast a couple of hours before the 10 a.m. Sunday school hour. Then I would broadcast an hour for Sunday school. Then I would broadcast, you know, almost an hour for the 11 a.m. service. Then I would come home for a quick lunch, get back to the empty sanctuary around two in the afternoon, and then broadcast from two in the afternoon to like 8 p.m. that Sunday evening. Because my whole mentality during that time was, hey, if the world is shut down because of a pandemic, well, instead of churches yelling and complaining about what they can or cannot do, how about we take advantage of what we can do? We can turn on microphones and do everything. We can we can do church history. We could do uh, studies in Greek or Hebrew or church history or Bible survey or hermeneutics. I mean, we could have just, I mean, some of these churches had all kinds of resources and a team of people. 
You could have put them in different rooms with microphones like you broadcast for an hour and then you broadcast for an hour and then we'll come back to you and then you and then you. And we literally can broadcast 24 hours a day. But no, many churches decided not to do that. They wanted to, I don't know, try to make a point and to argue. And it was so frustrating. But we did what we could. Now, if you look back at everything we tried to do, that that's isn't that isn't that always the million dollar question? How do you judge success as a church? Some people would judge success. Well, you spent all of those hours in an empty sanctuary broadcasting. Did your church grow? Well, it did not, so it was a failure. Did you uh, did you get more listeners who were committed to what you were doing and they they gave money and they supported what you were doing? Well, no, we, we did increase numbers. I don't know. We didn't really increase, you know, people saying, oh, wow, you're broadcasting four, five, six hours a day. Let, let me support that because that's amazing. That's awesome. That's, you're feeding me spiritually. So let me support that. Now, we didn't necessarily get that. So when you look back, sometimes it, this is where, you know, human emotion gets involved because I can look back and go, man, I was killing myself. I was spending hour after hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. And what, what do I see? What, what, what did I succeed at? So I don't know, but I know this. I have thousands of hours of content. So I, it, it may not have accomplished anything then, but I know I can go grab the file, bring it back to the present, go live and say, Hey, here's what we were doing. So in, on November the 1st, 2020, we were at part three in our study of the Niagara Creed from the 1800s. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to it. Now, this file is weird, okay? In fact, when I when I load when I grabbed the file and then I loaded it into my software, I'm like, wait, 31 minutes and 19 seconds? What in the world happened? I've never done anything that's 31 minutes and 19 seconds long. So that tells me something. I don't know what went wrong. I, I, I don't know what happened. I don't remember because, I mean, it was November the 1st, 2020. I know I was talking about the Niagara Creed, but I don't know why it was 31 minutes long. So that either tells me that I got about halfway into it and I just started feeling like I was losing everything, that it was not working. Maybe I'd made, maybe I make some horrible mistake in, on, in this. Maybe I... I don't know. Maybe I mispronounced something. Maybe I get confused. I don't know what happened. I, I do know that there was a Sunday and I don't think it was that Sunday. I don't think it was that Sunday. I don't remember the date, but there was a Sunday where I got interrupted two times where people just walked right into the church, not members of the church. Some people came in to kind of like protest COVID and that it was a hoax. And they, and, and like it was some weird stuff that went down during that time at the church. So not, not from people in my church, just people in the local area who I guess decided to just walk into an empty church building to try to make some point. It was crazy. So, um, I don't think that's why it got cuts short, but 31 minutes, that's a, that's a bizarre thing. But here's the thing. I've already broadcasted for Theology Central Radio, part one and part two of the Niagara Creed. So then I've got to broadcast part three, right? Even if part three is only 31 minutes. I don't remember what happened, but well, you, you can listen and you can tell me what happened. All right. So, so we're going to go back to the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church. I'm sitting in the back of the sanctuary facing the pulpit, sitting at a table with a microphone 
trying to figure out how in the world you should do church in the middle of a pandemic, trying to figure out the best way. There was a lot of things I did not know. There's a lot of decisions I made that some may say are right or some may, may, may say it's wrong. But the one thing I know I did is I tripled, I quadrupled the uh, amount of teaching that that church was producing. I, I, I just doubled down, tripled down. I mean, I just went all in. So no matter what anyone says, they cannot say, well, the teaching of God's word was hindered. No, no, no. The teaching of God's word increased manifold. It, it, create, it, it was multiplied in the amount that, uh, that of, time, of time spent trying to teach and talk about important subjects. So I, again, I can look back and go, man, that was a failure. But instead of doing that, Let's just grab the file, bring it to the present, November the 1st, 2020, the Niagara Creed, part three, and it sounded something like this. Remember, this is only 31 minutes. That is, that's got to be the shortest thing I've ever done in my life. Well, there's been a few things I've done shorter, but those are podcast episodes, but I don't know what was going on here, probably because I was just trying to figure it out. So here we go. Good morning, everyone. It is still Sunday. It is still November the 1st. It is still 2020, but it's now 11.05 a.m. I've been here since somewhere close to 7-something seven, seven this morning. And uh, yes, a lot of live broadcasting. My voice is holding up pretty good. Um, we've, we've covered a lot of things, but the goal of this this next live broadcast is to continue what we did in the previous live broadcast, which was... Continuing our study of the Niagara Creed, all right? We've done the first message last week. That first message was obviously done in the pulpit with people actually present. Part two was done just uh, the last hour. Uh, that was done here at the back table here in the Sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church. And um, we, we took, I decided to do kind of an interesting thing. The Niagara Creed, I'm not going to go back and review everything. 19th century, Christianity is under attack. These people start meeting, they create the Niagara Creed, which leads to the Niagara Bible Conference, which was very instrumental, uh, basically gives you the origins of fundamentalism, modern day fundamentalism here in the United States of America. I think that's a, a good way to kind of describe it. And they write a creed and they write a creed because Christianity was being redefined. Christianity was under attack and they wanted to give a creed. And in the Niagara Creed, they start with the doctrine of the inspiration of, of Scripture, the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. And they start there because obviously you have to have some source of authority. You've got to have a foundation. You've got to have something to stand on. You've got to have, you've got to have something that says, no, this is what Christianity is. What you're claiming it is, it isn't. Okay. And now what's sad is that many people who claim to believe in the, that the Bible is the inspired word of God still will systematically add and change and destroy Christianity themselves without even realizing it because they start getting away from the scriptures. Once we deviate from the scriptures, add to the scriptures, subtract, subtract from the scriptures, then, then Christianity becomes a free for all. And that is what we are seeing. So. Because of everything happening in our world right now and in the church, I think this is a great time to study, again, this history because it's very important and it gives us kind of a framework and how to, to try to try to move forward and what we're witnessing uh, happening to us right now and what we see happening to Christianity. Christianity is under attack. It's being destroyed. It's being redefined. I don't know how many times I can say that. Christianity is in serious trouble. 
So we got to get back. And so I think getting back to the creed is this creed is of, 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 of utmost importance. And hopefully it's it's going to be beneficial. Hopefully the study has already been beneficial. But they start off with the doctrine of inspiration. And my fear is. And, and this is true of all kinds of Bible doctrines. It's, it's, it's great to have like this doctrine outlined in it, but it, sometimes it can be so vague and so theoretical. We have to say, how does it look like in real life? So the idea of God giving us scripture, inspiring scripture, how we end up, what I'm here holding in my hand, a Bible, how do we get here? Seeing that being played out in a scriptural example, I think is beneficial. So we went to Jeremiah 36. And in Jeremiah 36, we see God, in a sense, revealing a message, right? In a sense, he gives it to Jeremiah, right? So in a sense, we have revelation. In a sense, we have inspiration. In a sense, he gives him the words of his words, the words of God. Jeremiah then gives these words to Baruch, right? Who then writes them down in a scroll. So in a sense, we get um, inspira- uh, revelation, inspiration, and transmission. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful account, and you can go back and listen to everything. I'm just going to remind you of the outline that I gave you. I'm just going to remind you of the outline because we really have only one point left in the outline, all right? And so we're going to have to see how I want to do uh, move forward this morning. But this is what I've given us so far. Jeremiah 36, verses 1 through 4, we have God's word written. God's word written. It's the, God's word is written down, all right? God reveals it, inspires it, it's written down, it's transmitted, it's, 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 it's done. So then we have God's word written. Second, we have God's word proclaimed. God's word proclaimed. Because Baruch takes the word of God and goes, proclaims it to the people, all right? And we talked about that. Then third, we have God's word reacted to. After Baruch reads these words, the people react to it. Micaiah takes it and he goes and shares it. Then the people who he shares it with, they're like, we want more of it. We, we, want, we want more. Go get, go get the, the actual book. We want it read to us. So it's shared. People want more of it. There is fear. There is fear. I think, I think that is uh, very important. Uh, there are questions about it. And then there is a hatred for it. God's word is hatred, hated. It is rejected. It is burned. He literally burns the book. The king, ultimately, when he gets the message, he burns the book. All right. So go back to Jeremiah 36. This is where we're going to, to pick up the story. All right. Jeremiah 36. It's about the quickest review I think I've ever done. <laughs> Jeremiah 36. Here we go. We're going to pick up where we left off. Jeremiah chapter 36. So, so far, our outline looks like this. Lay my Bible down here. Our outline looks like uh, this. Jeremiah 36, 1 through 4, God's word written. Uh, Second, God's word proclaimed, Jeremiah 36, 5 through 10. And then the reactions are God's word reacted to. God's word, word, uh, you know, God's word uh, reacted to. We're going to have that, uh, Jeremiah 36, verses 11 through 26. All right. Jeremiah chapter uh, 36, verses 11 through 26. All right, and then in verse 26, just so that you, rem- uh, you, you remember, uh, verse uh, Jeremiah 36, verse 26, but the king commanded uh, uh, Jeremel, the son of Hamalech, the son of Shariah, the son of Azrael, the son of uh, Shelemiah, uh, the son of Abdel, to take Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet, but the Lord did, uh, the Lord hid them. So the king wants, he doesn't want just the message burned. He wants the messengers themselves taken, probably to uh, punish, probably. But uh, he wants them, and, but God hides them. 
Now, starting in verse 27, the last part of our outline. Here we go. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. After that, the king had burned the roll and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah saying, all right, so here we go. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that, after that, the king had burned the roll. So king had taken the scroll and burned it. God's word destroyed. God's word is, is no, it's been cut and destroyed. So, but God steps in. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Um, which Baruch wrote, and, and, and this is what he says, verse 28. Take thee again another roll and write in it all the, all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, a king of Judah, thus saith the Lord, thou hast burned this roll, saying, why hast thou written therein, saying, the king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land and shall, and shall cause to cease from hence, uh, hence man and beast. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit upon the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast in the day to the heat and in the night to the frost. And I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring upon them, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah, all the evil that I have pronounced against them, but they hearkened not. Then took Jeremiah, another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And there and there were added besides unto them many like words. All right. Now, what do we have here? What do we have here? So we have God's word written. We have God's word proclaimed. We have God's word reacted to. Now, this is very important. We have God's word preserved. We have God's word preserved. This is very, very, very important to us as Christians, all right? <clears throat> because we understand God reveals. God reveals himself. The Bible is full of God revealing himself, right? He reveals. We could talk about natural revelation, special revelation. We can get into a whole theological discussion about revelation, but God reveals himself. Typically, revelation is God revealing something that without God, we could not previously understand. That's more of a special revelation. General revelation is given to everyone. There's nature. God reveals that he exists through nature. That's given to everyone. Special revelation is God reveals himself in a special way, right? Like scripture, that's God's revelation. But how do we get that revelation in scripture? God's revelation inspiration, God breathing out his word into an individual, then that individual writes it down, then that word is transmitted, transmission, the copying of God's word. And then lastly, this is what we have. This is very important. God's word preserved, the preservation of God's word. So we have God's word written. That includes all of that revelation and spray. That includes all of that. God's word written, God's word proclaimed, God's word, re, God's word reacted to, and then God's word preserved. Look, the king may have burned it. The king may have cut it. The king may have destroyed it. But guess what? A couple of things. This is very important. God's word is preserved. And I want you to think about it this way. First, it's preserved in this way. 
that even if you reject it, even if you burn it, even if, even if you destroy it, even if there's not a copy of God's word left on planet earth, it's still preserved in this way, that it, that everything God said is going to happen is going to happen. Denying it, ignoring it, burning it doesn't get rid of it. It's still, God's word still stood. He said he had warned them that judgment was coming. He told them it was coming. And guess what? Hey, you burned it, but guess what's still going to happen? All those things are still coming upon you. All of these, this judgment still coming upon you. Just because you didn't heed it doesn't mean it goes away. God's word is preserved. I want to make sure you understand this. One of the ways it's preserved, it's preserved in that it stands. Doesn't matter if you rewrite it. Doesn't matter if we, it doesn't matter if 30 years from now, 50 years from now, go, someone goes to a Bible bookstore. Well, or we won't go to a Bible bookstore in 50 years. They download a copy of the Bible in 50 years and it's no longer the Bible that you and I know. It's no longer the Bible that Christianity is known. It, it, the words are completely different. The words say things like, thou shall go forth and commit adultery. And the word says, you know, homosexuality is a gift from God. It just changes everything. Well, guess what? Everyone that run around around the world thinking this is what God said, this is what God said. It won't matter because what God said will still stand. What God said will still stand. That morality will still stand. God's word will still stand, even though every, even though no one has a copy of it. And what God said is going to happen: that Christ will return, and there will be a judgment of the living and the dead. And those names not written in the Lamb's book of life will be thrown into eternal fire. Those things are still going to stand, no matter what anybody says. God's still going to condemn the same sin. He's still going to say sin is still sin. It doesn't matter if we change it. So God's word is preserved. I want to make sure you understand this because sometimes we talk about preservation. We don't talk about it this way. It's preserved because it stands forever. Heaven and earth may, may disappear. Heaven and earth may fade away, but the word of the Lord will abide forever. You can burn it, you can cut it, you can rewrite it, you can retranslate it, you can change it, you can ignore it, you can pretend it never happened, does not matter. It still stands. That's the part that God's word will always be preserved in that way. I, I want we, we can talk about preservation. There's all kinds of arguments sometimes within Christianity about how God preserved his word. But here, I want to make sure you understand exactly what happens. And let, let's go back to Jeremiah 36. I closed my Bible. I shouldn't have. But I think uh, this wasn't originally the point that I wanted to make, but I think it's now the point that I think is more important than, than maybe anything else. All right. I want to make sure you see what happens. All right. So he's burned it. He's burned. The, the king has burned it. So the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah after the king had burned the roll with the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah saying, and so here's what God says, take another roll, write all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah burned, write all the same words down, write them down, right? Now, again, how is Jeremiah going to write those down correctly? We believe that's God inspiring. He's going to inspire to ensure that Jeremiah writes down exactly what he wants there, right? God reveals the words. He inspires the words. The words are written down. There's transmission again. Verse 29, and then thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, thus saith the Lord, thou hast burned this roll saying, why hast thou written therein saying the king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land and shall cause to cease from thence man and beast. So the king you know, wanted to know why, why would you write these things? But this is what he wants him to know. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Jehoiakim, um, uh, the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit upon the throne of David. Then he He's going to give them the words. In other words, no matter what he did, he's not going to change it. Burning it didn't change the facts. 
Burning it didn't change anything. Judgment was still coming. He may have not liked the fact that they were written there. He may not have wanted them written there. He may not want to heed the message, believe the message, trust the message, but the word was preserved because it's God's word and nothing was going to change that. Right? That is very critical to understanding preservation, right? Understanding preservation. Um, in fact, um, see here, I think I've got a couple of scriptures. Yeah, go to uh, go to Matthew 24, 35. Matthew 24, 35. Matthew 24, 35. Because I think this works really good. Matthew 24, 35. Matthew 24, 35. Matthew 24. We'll go back to verse 34. Matthew 24, 34. Verily I say unto you, Jesus is speaking, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Verse 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. If the whole earth burns up, right? There's nothing left on the earth, which would include all the physical Bibles, right? All these Bibles that I have here near me, they all burn up. Guess what will not pass away? God's word will not pass away because God's word is connected to God and God is eternal. Therefore, his word is eternal. Rejecting it and burning it, it will always be preserved because God will be present. Therefore, his word is preserved in him. So I cannot just, I cannot stress that enough. That's a part of preservation that typically in Bible college and seminary, we didn't learn that part of preservation. We talked about preservation as how it's preserved in a written form. It's, it's preserved because the written form can be destroyed, but it still stands, all right? It still abides. It's still true. It's, it's like um, if a parent comes in and say, says, okay, listen up. Here are the things you have to have done by 4 o'clock this afternoon, and if you don't, here's the punishment you're going to receive, all right? Here's my word. I've written the words down. I've written what you need to be done, and I've written down the consequences for not doing it. I've placed it on the refrigerator. Well, so any kid can go in there, rewrite the whole paper, rewrite it, right? Even make it look like it's the same handwriting as the parent. And the parent walks in and says, that's not what I wrote. Guess what? Even though it's rewritten, even though it's still posted on the refrigerator, it's, it, it's not binding because it's not the original word. The parent is still there. The parent knows the words that were spoken and therefore the, the, the same punishment is going to be carried out because the parent spoke it. Well, it's God's word. I don't care what we do with it. I don't care what the church does with it. I don't care. Church can play all the games it wants and says, well, nope, we don't have to do this. We don't, I don't care. I mean, at this point, I don't, you know, the church just changes everything. We changed, we changed, we, 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 we threw out what God had to say in regards to divorce and remarriage. We throw out pretty much what God says about everything. And then we, we then we pretend like, uh oh, uh oh, uh, you know, uh, you can't tell us to do anything different than what we want to do. Well, you can continue, put it this way. I, I think, I think this is very important. We're all, every human being, every human being who has lived, who is living, who will live, we're all got an appointment with the author. (laughs) And at that point, God's word is preserved because you can't kill God. You can burn the book. You can rewrite the book, but you can't rewrite and burn the author. And we've all got an appointment with him. I don't know what else to say. It's preserved. Second, a second thing about preservation is as Christians, we, 
and and, and this, this this is where so much argument and dispute comes up. And I want to try to avoid. I want I want this to be a unifying message and not one to get into all the controversies that that church history presents to us. Um, we understand revelation. We understand inspiration. We we understand transmission to some level. I think we all understand that God's word was written, and then other people copied that, and then other people copied that, and other people copied that, and other people copied that, copy, 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 copy. We got that. That's the transmission. But we believe that somehow through all of this revelation, inspiration, and transmission, that somehow through all of this, that somehow we have the preserved word of God. Now, some people want to say it's preserved perfectly in the King James. All right. You could argue, well, then, so where was the preserved word of God before the King James? You, you end up with more questions. And then, wait a minute, uh, you know, King, we, we do know that there are, uh, you know, textual variants in all the manuscripts. We know there's textual variants. We know there's oh, gobs of textual variants. Some of those variants are insignificant. Some of those var- variants are significant. Here's what we know. Like if you get like sometimes Christians have to be very careful when we get into arguments with with skeptics because sometimes we say things that we can't back up and we end up looking foolish or we decide to you know to be standing at Dallas Theological Seminary debating Bart Ehrman about a a, 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 a debate topic that you cannot ultimately prove and you end up losing the debate from the word go because you're 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 foolish right. Yeah, I watched a debate at Dallas Theological Seminary where that happened, and it was embarrassing. And and the Christians lost. And the reason the Christians lost was because they were foolish and trying to prove a point they couldn't prove. Here's the thing. We can say God, we believe that those scriptures clearly teach that God reveals himself. God inspired the scriptures, and God transmitted the scriptures. And we have to believe by faith that God's word is ultimately preserved in some kind of a written form. But here's what we have to just remind ourselves. These are the facts, and Christians don't like these facts, but here are the facts. Number one, the originals are gone. We do not have the originals. The originals no longer exist, all right? And so we believe that the originals are the, and those are the original documents that were inspired. The original author who wrote them down, though they were inspired. But we do believe that even though the original document was inspired, that somehow the transmission gives us God's word. But we just, we have to realize we don't have the originals, right? So that puts us at a very, like in an argumentative or a debate situation, that puts us at a very, at a great disadvantage. Now, we can argue that based off manuscripts, the number of manuscripts and all the different things and, and how the earlier copies date close to the original, we can make an argument that the scriptures that we have are trustworthy, all right? That's far different than, than being able to prove that they are the inspired word of God. We can't ultimately prove that, all right? We don't even have the originals. And we have to acknowledge that if you look at all the manuscripts, there's all kinds of textual variants, Sometimes they're significant, sometimes they're insignificant. And then Bible scholars have to go, well, this manuscript says this, this manuscript says this. And then using a process, they determine which rendering, which reading they think is the most accurate or closer to the original. Now, remember, they have to just try to figure that out. They don't have the original to compare it to. So they have to take all of these manuscripts. So here's the thing. What we believe is that God's word is preserved because whether whether we think we have it in a written form or don't have it in a written form, it's still preserved because God is God. But we, we believe by faith that in spite of textual variance, in spite of the originals being gone, that the, by, when we hold up the Bible, that we believe that we possess the preserved word of God. Now, 
we can believe that and still believe that, wait a minute, um, there are different renderings here, different manuscripts have different renderings, and we have to struggle with it. But we still believe that we have the inspired Word of God. It may be require work and effort to get to it. Now, I, yes, I believe that the best we can do, and we could argue that modern translations, I think in many cases, are very dangerous. I mean, we could get into, you know, is, is the Word of God preserved in a... Um, a paraphrase? I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go there because that's a paraphrase. Uh, do we believe the word of God is preserved in a translation that used kind of a dynamic equivalent approach? Now, all, all translations use it a little bit, but a dynamic equivalent is where here's what the, here's what the text, the manuscripts say. Well, we're going to try to get a dynamic, something that's equivalent to that. Not necessarily for a word for word, but at least rendering the idea. I'm not a fan of that. I want the most word-to-word translation possible, all right? And yes, I use the King James. I rely on the King James. Some will argue the King James is, it, it, you can get to a whole argument. The King James only, again, that brings up lots of, 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 of questions as well. I use the King James, trust the King James, but listen, I'm willing to understand that, that translation, translation is a difficult process. You have a word in Greek, a word in Hebrew, and you got to get that over to English, and even in the Greek, that word may be translated five different ways, even in the Greek. And now you've got to figure out which translation, which, which way should that word be translated in that context? And then what, how do I bring that Greek word over into the English? There, it's a, it's a complicated matter, but we, we believe by faith that in the midst of all of that, that we have the preserved word of God because God preserves his word. He preserves it. He preserves it in two ways. First, preserved because no matter what we do, it stands. And second, he preserves it somehow in a written form. Please note, it was burned and he had him rewrite it. He had it rewritten. So we believe that we have in the scriptures. Now, again, it may require work and effort to get back to what the, the, the text is. And we, we, we rely on textual criticism. We rely on Bible scholars. We rely on people studying the original manuscripts. We rely on people out there still looking for more manuscripts. The more manuscripts they find, sometimes it creates more problems. Sometimes you find another manuscript that has a different rendering. You don't get, don't let your faith be shaken by that. You're like, okay, that rendering, that rendering, okay, which is the correct one? And we struggle with it. But I believe somehow in the midst of all the manuscripts and all that we have, the word of God is there. It is there. It's just not in a simple, it's not always a simple answer. Now, some people don't like that and they just, they want certainty. Uh, they want certainty over facts, right? They, 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 certainty is more important to them than, than any questions or any difficulties. But you can't always just go for certainty. Sometimes you have to just realize there are some difficulties. But we believe God ultimately will preserve his word. We, we have to believe that because he seems to proclaim that. Heaven and earth will pass away. The word of God will abide forever. Now, again, it will abide forever first and foremost because it's God's word. Nothing can change that. But I think ultimately he's going to keep it here. Uh, look at, um, well, Psalm 119.89. This doesn't completely help with the written idea, but it does give you at least a, uh, something to understand here. Psalm 119, verse 89 Psalm 119, verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. Give me a second here. This Bible's literally falling completely apart. All right, here we go. Psalm 119, 
I apologize. Psalm 119, verse 89. I'm in Psalm 119, verse 89. We read this. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, again, that's more the preservation of God's word in heaven. But we believe that if God's going to reveal his word, if God's going to inspire his word, if God's going to call for the transmission of his word, he's clearly going to preserve his word. And we trust that he has preserved it and that we have it today. Now, ultimately, the original manuscripts, just please note, the inspiration refers to the original manuscripts, right? That's because he he worked through the original author to inspired it, right? And again, uh, the Bible doesn't explain the mechanics of inspiration. Just make sure we understand that. When we read 2 Timothy all scriptures given by inspiration of God, it doesn't explain the mechanics. It doesn't in any way, shape, or form. In fact, that's the only place in the New Testament that word, that Greek word is even used. So there's no explanation of how it happened. And I think sometimes we get into a lot of discussion about the, the, the mechanics of it. And there's all kinds of theories about it. Look, ultimately, we just believe that it's the God breathed. He breathed out his word into human authors who wrote it down. And we have the word of God. I think that's very important. All right. Now, let's do. So there's Jeremiah 36. I kind of want to stop right there. I I think I'm going to stop right there. Actually, I think I may just stop right there. I know that that's probably not exactly what I should do. But yeah. Yeah, we're going to stop right there. Because if I if I start onto something else, it's just it's just the unfortunate way it worked out. The first the first hour went a full hour and it ended me at the end of Jeremiah 36 and I had to finish Jeremiah 36, but I don't want to go from Jeremiah 36 and jump to something else. So, here let's just review. What what do we have this morning? We have God's word written. Jeremiah 36 1 through 4. Right? Jeremiah 36 1 through 4. Second uh, we have God's word proclaimed, Jeremiah 36, 5 through 10. Next, we have God's word reacted to, Jeremiah 36, verses 11 to 26. And then lastly, we have God's word preserved, Jeremiah 36, verse 27 to 32. All right. Someone stated it this way. Uh, the Bible is a deathless book. In other words, it cannot die. This deathless book, this is how one person, Isaac Taylor stated this. The deathless book, the Bible, it's a deathless book, has survived three great dangers. The negligence of its friends, the false systems built upon it, and the warfare of those who have hated it. The Bible has survived all these three great dangers. The negligence of its friends. There's a lot of people who claim they love the Bible, but they're negligence to it. They don't really study it. They don't memorize it. They don't, they're, neg- they're negligent. They neglect it. It's like a neglected child, right? So we, it, it, it has survived the negligence of its friends. It's, it's survived the false systems built upon it. There's all kinds of ideologies and systems that supposedly are built upon the word of God. We, but guess what? They're false. It, but even though they've been built upon it, the word of God still abides. The word of God survives, even though false systems have been built upon it. Sometimes you've got to knock those false systems off of it to get back to the scriptures, but it still survives. And then third, it has survived the warfare of those who have hated it. 
There are those who've hated the scriptures, burned the scriptures, cut the scriptures, but the scriptures still survive. They still abide. The scriptures have been mocked. They've been condemned, but they still survive because they are connected to God himself. There is the idea of revelation. Listen, in a sense, Jeremiah 36 gives us revelation, inspiration, transmission, and preservation all in one chapter. And that's where we'll stop. That's where we'll stop. All right. If you have any questions, email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Members of Victory Baptist Church, you can post questions or thoughts in the chat. All right. I'm going to stop right there. I know we're stopping way early, but if I try to continue on, I think it'll, it, would be, it wouldn't be beneficial. So we're going to stop right there. All right. Uh, what you can do, uh, well, I'm not even going to tell you anything else to do. Just meditate on that. Everyone have a great day. God bless. And welcome back, everyone, to Theology Central Radio, where I grab files from the past. That was November the 1st, 2020, November the 1st, 2020, where we were working on the Niagara Creed. That was part three. And I think really, if you kind of listen to that, really what that was, was part two ended and I needed to kind of wrap it up. So I used part three to really kind of wrap up part two. And and I, I didn't want to go... I, I didn't want to follow certain things maybe further than I, I don't know. I can look back and, 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 and critique that all day. I probably, I, you know, in some ways you can look, man, part three really wasn't worth much. And you're probably right. Uh, but if you, if you, if you get to the end of an hour and you're supposed to be beginning the next hour and say that was the whole difficulty with doing that because you were trying to maintain that was, you know, November 1st, 2020, we're in the middle of the pandemic and I was trying to, you know, maintain time, right? This is the Sunday school hour. Now let's stop. Now, good morning, everyone. This is the morning worship hour. So I was trying to maintain that time division. If you think about it, what I should have done is not worried about the time division. I should have just used the first hour and went all the way until I completed everything there and then stopped and then either do another hour or just say, that's all we're going to do today. But I was trying to maintain those, those very specific times for Sunday school, Sunday morning and Sunday night and be broadcasting during that time. And I remember a lot of frustration because over time you begin to realize, and I don't know, a lot of churches probably experienced this as well. Over time, you started realizing, especially if you're a small church and especially if you had all of your broadcasting set up so that you could get very detailed analytics, I could look and go, <laughs> 6 p.m. hour, 90% of my church is not listening. And you could get, you could get extremely discouraged uh, when you started noticing that. Wait a minute. It's Wednesday night, 7 p.m. 80% of the church is not listening. And then you just started going, why am I out here doing hour after hour after hour of broadcasting, trying to maintain this very tight time schedule so that I can, I can keep it feeling like normal. And then people at home are kind of like, you know what? I, I don't care if he's broadcasting at seven. I'm at home. I'm going to do what I want. Now, on one hand, you can't blame the people. On the other hand, when you're the one out there. So I mean, what a weird time. So that was part three. It really, it's just kind of a wrap, uh, wrapping up part two. And so uh, the next time for Theology Central Radio, the next time we get together, well, I don't know if I'll do it next, but coming up at some point um, and a broadcast at some point, we will air Niagara Creed part four. 
And uh, we'll keep working on that as we also pull other things from the archives, from the library, trying to make use of all of that, right? I mean, hour after hour after hour of broadcasting for years, for 20, well over 24 years, well over 24 years. Um, And anytime I can find an old file, we can pull it out. And uh, you can benefit from it, then that, that's wonderful. That's great. If if people can benefit today, maybe for what people didn't benefit from in the past, that's a good thing. All right. If you have any questions about the Niagara Creed or anything that was covered in part one, part two, or part three, please email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I think the goal is now I'm going to in this broadcast, upload that, and then I'll come back and we'll be doing something here shortly. I don't know what we're going to... We need to finish our Satan in your head. Uh, we need at least finish the review. I just don't know how much time is left in the review. I got to I gotta figure out where we stopped and look at how much time is involved in the, that audio and then decide, do I come back and finish that or do we do something else in the miniseries? So we will, we, we will try to... Well, I'll make a plan and just, well, you'd be paying attention and we may be back on the air here in the next few minutes. Thank you for listening to another episode of Theology Central Radio. Everyone have a wonderful night. God bless.